Welcome to the Vermont Conversation, I'm David Goodman. A furious public disagreement is raging between Vermont's top elected prosecutors with no resolution in sight. Sarah George, the state's attorney for Chittenden County, has accused Attorney General T.J. Donovan of being, quote, disingenuous and hypocritical and of, quote, misleading the public. At issue are two murder cases and one case of attempted murder that were dismissed by George in 2019 after she deemed that the alleged assailants were legally insane. Governor Scott objected to the dismissals and asked the Attorney General to review them. In a rare move, Attorney General overrode George's decision and has now refiled the three cases that George dismissed. At the heart of this dispute is how the state deals with mentally ill people who are charged with serious crimes. Should they go to jail or be confined in a psychiatric institution? And should the governor and attorney general be second-guessing the decisions made by frontline prosecutors? By way of background, T.J. Donovan served as Chittenden County State's attorney for 10 years, where he and George were colleagues, before he was elected attorney general in 2016. Sarah George was elected to succeed Donovan that year. I asked State's Attorney George and Attorney General Donovan to appear together to discuss these issues on the Vermont Conversation. Sarah George agreed to the conversation, but T.J. Donovan insisted on separate interviews. I began by asking Sarah George why she said on VPR earlier this week that Attorney General Donovan was being, quote, disingenuous and hypocritical. I mean that his justifications, if you can call them that, for his for refiling of these cases so far to me has been incredibly unclear. And to the extent that it is clear, it's not based on our actual laws and the way that our process and our system actually work. So for example, the most recent justification that he gave is that insanity is a legal defense and therefore an issue for the jury to decide which it is a legal defense and it is certainly something you can put in front of a jury, but prosecutors, and he should know this, that prosecutors make decisions all the time on nearly every single case about the validity of somebody's legal defense. And of course, as you know, 99% of cases in our system resolve. So we are constantly making those calls. And my best comparison for that hypocrisy is the fact that anytime an officer kills somebody, we as prosecutors look at the evidence and the attorney general looks at the evidence and we decide whether their legal defense of self-defense or others is valid and either charge or don't charge based on that. And he has he himself has done that in every officer involved homicide. So um, he, that's he what has, I mean by it being- What has he done in every homicide? I just wanna be clear. That he has looked at the evidence and made a decision himself without involving a jury about whether their legal defense is valid. And that de- the, the decision he's made is that their defense is valid. He has not prosecuted any officers. Have you prosecuted any officers involved in homicides? No, and I, I wanna be really clear that that's not, my, that's, that's not what's disingenuous. I'm not saying he should have. What I'm saying is that that's what, exactly what we do. We look at evidence and we decide whether somebody's legal defense is valid. And he has said, and I have said in those cases that were Chittenden County cases anyway, that their legal defense was valid. 
Um, so my, my point isn't that he should have charged those cases. My point is he did exactly what he's supposed to do in evaluating the evidence and making that decision and not putting it to a jury if we ethically don't think we can overcome that burden. So that's, I definitely want to be clear because I saw recently that he said, well, well, she could have charged them and that's missing the entire point. It's not about whether they should have been charged. It's about using our discretion and how important it is that we as prosecutors use our discretion to make that decision and not put those cases to a jury if now, we feel like we can't overcome the burden. Isn't having a, you know, a, a another public official overruling prosecutorial discretion a way to challenge bias in the system. For example, a prosecutor who routinely prosecutes black people and rarely prosecutes white people, having another prosecutor come in and say, no, that's not right. We're going to bring charges in a more equitable way. Isn't this a system of checks and balances that you should be supportive of, having another prosecutor like the attorney general step in? I think that the, I'm not sure I entirely understand the question. I absolutely think checks and balances on prosecutors is incredibly important. I actually don't think we have enough um, overall. The difference here is that this case was litigated. This is not a, this is not a decision that was made pre-charge, for example, like we declined to charge it. That would have been an incredibly different circumstance that I said, I'm not charging these cases. And the attorney general reviewed them and said, well, I am. That, whether I would have agreed with it or not, would have been a very different circumstance. This, these cases were litigated in my office, two of them by me, for years. Um, thousands and thousands of pages of medical records, hundreds of depositions, motion hearings. The entire process played out. That's where I think the really big difference is. And then we, as prosecutors assigned to these cases, looked at the evidence, at every piece of evidence, hours and hours, hundreds of hours of evidence, and made the decision we could not overcome that burden. And then the attorney general came in and refiled to start over. That's where I think the really unprecedented and dangerous um, actions were. It wasn't, I mean, the attorney general said himself he would not have done this if the governor didn't ask him to. You know, that, that is very different. Why do you say dangerous? What's dangerous about what the attorney general is doing? Because it, it, it tramples on prosecutorial discretion in a way that is going to or could lead to prosecutors not making these hard decisions out of fear that the attorney general is going to come in and do it, do exactly this every time. I mean, I, ha- I already have prosecutors and other state's attorneys who have made comments about wanting to do a particular thing on a case and being afraid that the attorney general is going to come in and refile the case or overrule their decision. It's the last thing you want in a system is prosecutors afraid to make the right call, afraid so, to make a really hard call. Let's talk about the larger issue here, which is about how we deal with the mentally ill in the criminal justice system. When you announced the dismissals of these three cases in June 2019, you tweeted, quote, it's awful that our mental health agencies are failing us, but real leadership requires digging in and fixing problems, not pointing fingers elsewhere and undermining the judicial system's integrity. So explain what this larger issue is and the point that you were trying to make with that tweet. 
Yeah. That, I mean, gosh, that was a long time ago, but my point in general about the dismissal of these cases and, and frankly, what's happened since is that we as a, as a community and a society have this impression that people have to be in jail in order for justice to have been served. When really, when there's ample evidence in these three cases, I believe there was, that these individuals had significant, not just some mental health issues, but significant mental diseases or defects that drastically impacted their ability to to conform to the law. They were in the Department of Mental Health custody and, and secured facilities at the time or still are, two of them still are. And we we wanted to do something different because we didn't feel like the Department of Mental Health had the capabilities or the, you know, that they weren't the right place for these people. And that's a failure of our system to think that the Department of Mental Health in secured facilities where people are not a threat to the community isn't the right place for individuals with significant mental health issues when it absolutely is. And instead of refiling these cases or thinking that these people should be prosecuted, we should be looking at our laws and making, or resources even, maybe not even our laws, but our resources to reallocate resources to the Department of Mental Health if that's what needs to be done to keep our community safe rather than constantly relying on the criminal justice system to do it. What's a better way to deal with mentally ill people who commit serious violent crimes such as these? I, th- I think, again, we have the infrastructure. We have, we have what we need to do that. We need community buy-in to agree that this is the right outcome for these individuals. And then we need to reallocate money, likely from the Department of Corrections, to the Department of Mental Health to make sure that they have secure facilities, enough beds, for example, um, and, and again, just the resources that they need to actually protect the public to make sure that these individuals aren't being released without supervision or aren't being released if they still pose a danger to the public. That's all technically already in our laws. We've, we have just decided as a society or as a community that that's not enough. That's really the problem. It is, it is enough and it should be enough. And we need to trust the Department of Mental Health has better resources or better abilities to protect the public from these individuals than the Department of Corrections does. You've pointed to the issue of the Attorney General responding to a request from the governor to reopen these cases. Why is that a problem? Because the governor is not an attorney. You know, I think that especially in one of the um, interviews that I saw the governor do right after his request, he said it's I think his quote was something around the lines of, it's very clear to me that these people did it. And that in itself is a, is a significant misunderstanding of the law. You know, of course, these, I mean, putting aside the presumption of innocence, of course, the question isn't whether these three people did it. In fact, in order to raise an insanity defense, you have to admit you did it. That is the whole point. You are saying, yes, I committed this homicide, but I was insane at the time. So even making a comment like that, like as part of the justification for him asking for these cases to be reviewed because these people clearly did it, is a, is a comment that someone who is not an attorney makes. And that in itself, rather than calling me or calling the Department of Mental Health or, or calling any of the other attorneys involved and having a conversation like, can you just explain this to me? I'm confused. This doesn't make any sense. It's clear these people did it. 
I could have had that conversation with him and explained entirely why we made these calls. And I would have been happy to do that. But instead, to just send a letter to the attorney general asking him to review these decisions, in my mind, was really unnecessary, first of all, and, and could have been avoided, I think, with a conversation, or at least it would have helped. And it just, you know, it just seems to me that it's not his call. It's, he's not an attorney. Have you had a conversation with the attorney general about this issue? Because it certainly has been playing out with uh, a lot of intensity in the media. Yeah, I really haven't. I mean, I when when these cases were first, you know, when he first agreed to review them, we met all of the prosecutors and all of the defense attorneys that were involved in the underlying prosecutions met. Um, we explained to him all of our justifications. We turned over all of our discoveries so that they could review the cases. Of course, we were we were we were compliant in that request. Um, but since the refilings, you know, the the attorney general called me after or when he was going to refile Mr. Grung's case, and um, again, I, I the conversation was basically, "Why are you doing this?" And I didn't feel like he really gave me any good reason for that. And we haven't had a conversation really about it since. Um, I was, of course, very hopeful that he would be on this um, to have this conversation with me because this going back and forth and him using talking points that are inaccurate is not getting us anywhere. And it's it's misleading the public in a way that I think is is unnecessary um, and losing re- really losing focus on the bigger conversation of like how we how we, how we think justice is served in this state. Why do you think the attorney general is doing this? I mean, for people who are not lawyers and cannot follow the legal arguments, the public spectacle of Vermont's two top prosecutors, both progressive-minded legal people, uh, both of whom were colleagues at one point, slugging it out uh, in public like this is very confounding. So what do you think is behind this? I don't know. I, I honestly, I keep trying to understand it. And in the beginning, I feel like I, I was trying really hard to be understanding about it. And the more that I hear from the attorney general um, about his justifications for it, the less I understand it. Because again, I, I feel like some of his justifications have not been accurate. His justification about a legal defense being for the jury, that's not accurate. Um, he made a comment in one of his most recent arguments about the judge finding probable cause on these cases, which is similar to the governor's comment. Like, of course they found probable cause. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's absolutely a political component to it. There's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, he, again, admitted himself that he wouldn't have done this if the governor didn't ask him to. So there's certainly a political component. I don't know what that does or doesn't do for him. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, he recently said that justice needs to be served. And so I think from his perspective, justice means jail. And and it is true that these three people were no longer going to be in jail. And that was that was clearly not enough for him. When you say there's a political component, meaning you think he wants to use this to run for office, higher office or some office? Again, I I don't know. um, But it certainly seems to me that he is attempting to show that he is tough on crime in a way that I haven't seen him do in the past. Seems like a change um, from my perspective from his quote unquote progressive policies otherwise. And so it certainly seems to me that that would be some part of it. But 
if there's some good or benefit to come of this public and legal and political disagreement, what good would that be? What would you hope that could be? I really, really hope that this conversation in general is educational, not the fight, but the conversation is educational in that people try to better understand what our criminal justice system is actually meant to do and what we can do and what we should do. And again, sort of what justice really means. Um, We often try, we often justify a lot of the stuff we do in the criminal justice system by saying we're doing it to get justice for the victims. When in fact, my experience is that victims don't often want jail. The community puts that on them. Communities often call for that or demand that on their behalf, but that's actually not often what they want when you talk to them about what they want. So I think that having these conversations openly and talking a lot about mental health in our system and not just, I'm not just saying that because these people have mental health issues, they shouldn't be in jail. There's a lot of people that commit really violent crimes with mental health issues. But having an actual legal defense, whether we feel comfortable with that outcome or not, we have to understand that that is a legal defense in our system and that we have to honor it. And there's reason for it. And this isn't lawyers making this decision about whether somebody's insane at the time of the crime. This is forensic psychiatrists. This is what they are trained to do. It is not, they are not lawyers. They deal solely with mental health issues. And we have to trust that that is the way the system was designed for a reason even when we don't like what might happen when that's the case. Okay. Well, Sarah George, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Sarah George is the state's attorney for Chittenden County. Next, we spoke with Attorney General T.J. Donovan. I began by asking him why he got involved in reviewing cases that the Chittenden County state's attorney had dismissed. Had the governor not asked you to reopen these cases, two murder cases and an attempted murder case, would you have? No. Is it appropriate for a governor who's not a lawyer to have this influence on the legal process? And does it risk politicizing the legal process in a way that undermines the credibility of the law and of your office? Yeah, David, that's a it's a great question. And it's a it's a fair question. And when you talk about uh, the criminal justice system, when you talk about um, the justice system, uh, I I would agree with you. Generally, it's not appropriate um, for uh, other elected officials to to weigh in. Um, I think that um, this was a a unique circumstance. Um, And when we talk about the governor, of course, the governor is the chief executive Uh, officer of the state. And I I think given uh, the fact that, as you just outlined, that you had dismissals of two murder cases and two two attempted murder cases uh, on the same day uh, for the same reason, the insanity defense uh, raised concerns not not only about uh, the public safety, uh, but the public trust uh, in our system. And so while I think that in this rare and unique circumstance, when it comes to those issues of public trust and public safety, um, I do think the governor as the chief executive has the right to ask. And, you know, Vermont's a, um, 
when we talk about our system of justice, you know, it's an interesting system because as you know, David, we have 14 elected state's attorneys that are locally elected and you have one uh, attorney general and we have really local control and local discretion um, with our, our state's attorneys. And I think that is of course the tradition of our state. Uh, that being said, Vermont law has always contemplated um, this checks and balances system with the attorney general's office uh, and uh, the local state's attorneys. And it's very different than other states. For example, I think in New Hampshire, you have this one attorney general that generally has kind of statewide jurisdiction on, on serious crime. And here we don't, but we do have what's called concurrent jurisdiction. And in the statutory framework, the, the statutory authority that outlines the powers and duties of the attorney general and the state's attorneys says that the attorney general has uh, the same authority to file charges as state's attorneys. Uh, and there has been case law uh, because this issue has come up before where the courts have said the attorney general uh, has the same authority. And when uh, state's attorneys, I think the actual language in one court case was when the attorney general, when the state's attorney sees the field, the attorney general uh, can step in. And, you know, it's rare, but it has happened before. Uh, David, I don't know if you remember um, uh, Bobby Sand is a great prosecutor when he was Windsor County state's attorney. Um, either dismissed or didn't prosecute some marijuana cases. Uh, and then Governor Douglas um, uh, directed the state police, I think, to bring those cases and all other cases uh, regarding uh, marijuana to the attorney general's office. And so it's rare, uh, but it's happened before, and it should only be used, I think, in, in unique circumstances. When you were state's attorney in Chittenden County, uh, you were Sarah George's predecessor, uh, and Bill Sorrell was the attorney general. Did Attorney General Sorrell ever uh, override uh, or refile cases that your office had dismissed? You know, there was one case in particular that I can remember. It was a pretty big case. Uh, in fact, it was one of the, the bigger cases I handled. And, you know, they were going to, we had conversations about him reviewing it um, and whether or not he was asked to review it. And that's, that's how this system works. Uh, ultimately, in that case, it was not refiled. Um, but, you know, it is a system of checks and balances, uh, given the concurrent jurisdiction that is laid out in Vermont statute. And that's, that's how our system works. So let's talk about one of these cases, uh, that of Eta Gurung, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. Um, multiple experts had deemed uh, Mr. Gurung, and, and let's be clear, he had allegedly killed his wife with a meat cleaver. Um, multiple experts had deemed Mr. Gurung insane at the time of the killing. He is currently in a locked psychiatric facility. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the Attorney General's office has not offered new evidence about his condition, but you essentially want him to serve his time in jail under the control of the Department of Corrections rather than in a psychiatric institution under the care of the Department of Mental Health. Do you believe that jail is the appropriate place for mentally ill people who commit a crime? Well, Dave, I think first that this is a pending criminal case. So I am somewhat limited in, in what I can say. 
uh, and Mr. Drung is presumed innocent uh, as it's a pending criminal case. But I think in your question, um, and I, I think there are some misconceptions. Um, Mr. And I, I'm not gonna talk specifically about this case, but let me talk generally. Uh, when somebody, when an expert has an opinion uh, regarding insanity, that's exactly what it is. It's an opinion, it's not a finding. Who makes that finding is the trier of fact, whether it's a jury or whether it's a judge. Because insanity, Dave, is not a medical diagnosis. It is a, uh, it's a legal defense. And in many cases, many prosecutors, many lawyers uh, can uh, weigh the evidence, which is an expert opinion, it's evidence, and make a determination whether or not that evidence or that opinion can be rebutted with other evidence. Uh, whether it's fact evidence or whether it's a different uh, expert opinion. And that's really how our system plays out. And prosecutors absolutely have, a, have the absolute right to exercise their discretion and say, I don't believe I can prove this case. Uh, other prosecutors can look at it and have a different opinion um, and say, I believe I can prove this case. But that's why we have a justice system. That's why we have a jury system to resolve these disputes. But I, I want to be clear, Dave, that um, it's not a finding. It's an opinion by a witness. And that opinion then is offered in court. And that opinion gets to be challenged through cross-examination, through other evidence. And that's how our system of justice works. So Sarah George says that what you've done here is dangerous, those are her words, because it tramples on that prosecutorial discretion. She said that she is hearing from her own prosecutors and other state's attorneys in Vermont telling her that they are reluctant to make a hard call because your office will come in and refile the case. Um, so first, let me ask you to explain what prosecutorial discretion is. This is not a common phrase. Uh, in, and does it concern you that what you have done may have a chilling effect on other prosecutors. Well, let me start first with prosecutorial discretion. Prosecutorial discretion um, is that concept that prosecutors get to make that decision based on their facts and evidence um, and in terms of a charging decision. Uh, these cases were charged. Uh, that should be pointed out. Uh, and they also have the discretion uh, to dismiss a case. Uh, but then we go back to uh, the concurrent jurisdiction of Vermont law, which allows for, again, a system of checks and balances uh, for uh, the attorney general uh, to look at these cases. Th that is in Vermont state statute. It's also been upheld by uh, the courts in our state. And prosecutors make tough calls every single day um, throughout this state. And as I said, I think that this is a rare and unique circumstance. I have a lot of respect for our state's attorneys. They do a great job throughout this state. Um, and the system should play out 
the way it's been designed to play out, uh, which is, of course, allows for this exercise of concurrent jurisdiction uh, in a system of checks and balances. And that when we talk about the rule of law and going through uh, our system, uh, I believe my office, which includes career criminal prosecutors, we reviewed the evidence in each case and we concluded that the state can prove these cases beyond a reasonable doubt. I'd also point out that the court has found probable cause in each of these matters and one court has accepted a guilty plea uh, set for sentencing. And so I think what's important is that um, we stay focused on our system of government, that we stay focused on uh, the issues of uh, public safety, the issues of uh, victims' rights, that we understand that, yes, we need to consider people's mental health needs. Uh, but like many things in the law, Dave, it's a balancing. It's a balancing test. When you say that uh, the, the courts have found probable cause, isn't it required in an insanity defense for the defendant to admit that they committed the act? So it would go without saying that once they've admitted it, there, of course, there's probable cause. Um, I, I don't think that's probable cause is whether or not it's the initial finding about whether or not a charge can proceed. Uh, the insanity defense is, is, is not presented at what is called the arraignment. Uh, the arraignment is, is the initial charging decision. Uh, where the information, which is a legal document, uh, is presented uh, in front of the court outlining uh, the charge. And the information uh, is different in every criminal case, but it is a requirement. And in that, the one thing that is the same in every piece of information, and information is that charging document in the state of Vermont, says the same thing. It says against the peace and dignity of the state of Vermont. And at that time, where it outlines the allegation uh, against an individual, where it outlines what the potential uh, maximum penalty is, and this is really, this is due process constitutional um, uh, requirements, uh, that goes from a prosecutor who makes the charging decision to the judge. And the court has to find whether or not there is probable cause to proceed and then you proceed through a criminal uh, case. And in that criminal case, you're going to have what's called discovery. And in that discovery, you will have, uh, and I'm talking generally here, different experts uh, offer opinions, not findings, opinions uh, about different aspects. For example, insanity could be one of them. And then that evidence and prosecutors, you're absolutely right, have the right to review that evidence and evaluate that and make a decision, exercise their discretion. And it's okay for people to disagree. Um, then that evidence is presented in court, generally in front of uh, uh, a jury uh, and the jury uh, decides. So Sarah George has raised the comparison when you've over saying that you've overridden her prosecutorial discretion in pointing out that you've not charged any police officers involved in a homicide. And uh, in fairness, she also said neither has she uh, and said that if you, you were to follow the logic that you've pursued in these cases, 
every one of those officer-involved homicides should be presented for a, to a jury to decide whether there's merit. Uh, but you've chosen not to go that route because that is your discretion. How do you respond to that comparison? Well, what I would say is that the fundamental principle of our justice system is that every case has its own unique facts. And you review every case based on the facts. And you make a decision based on the facts and the law. Uh, you don't take a blanket approach uh, to any case. Uh, that's not fair. Uh, you look at the facts and the law of each decision, uh, of each case, and you make a decision. And I stand by the decisions in my cases. Uh, I would point out that when it comes to uh, reviews of officer use of deadly force, the gen and when we get back to this issue of concurrent authority uh, and jurisdiction, the general practice is for each state's attorney to conduct a review independent of the attorney general's office. And as I said, I stand by my decisions in these cases. And if uh, a state's attorney chose to file a charge when I did not, that's their right. They can do that. And uh, that would be an exercise of their discretion. And that's part of our system. That's how it's designed. It's that system of our checks and balances that's predicated on maintaining the public's trust in our criminal justice system. Are you surprised this has blown up to the spectacle of having Vermont's top two prosecutors <clears throat> going at each other in the media like this? Well, I made a decision uh, that uh, I think is uh, in the interest of the victims in the interest of our community. Uh, and that's the decision I made. Uh, and we're gonna stay focused on uh, our job and the task at hand. Um, and that's all I can do, Dave. The larger issue here is the treatment of the mentally ill people in the criminal justice system. What do you hope would what good do you hope will come of this? Is is it going to be, you know, if the precedent is that mentally ill people are sent to jail instead of psychiatric care, uh, is that an outcome that you hope is some kind of precedent, or do you think there's some greater good that can be served? Dave, I think you gotta back up a little bit. Um when you talk about people that are mentally ill, the, the sad reality is that the largest mental health facility in our state, and frankly, throughout this country are our jails. So this is not precedent. Uh, this is an imperfect system. Um, and do I think uh, people who suffer from mental illness um, uh, deserve to be in jail? Uh, as a general rule, I would say I don't. That being said, how do you balance um, the need of public safety, of victims' rights, again, generally speaking, uh, when there are uh, allegations of extreme violence? Uh, and how do you balance that with uh, uh, one's mental health needs? It's a balancing act. The reality is that Vermont does not have a forensic or psychiatric uh, facility for corrections. I don't think I support that. Um, I think I have real concerns about building facilities because then you have to fill them. 
Um, but what we have to continue to do is advocate for a community system of mental health to get people the help they need in the community uh, to treat them with respect. And by making sure that they're doing well, that they have uh, the services and the resources they need to address their illness, mental health, mental illness is a disease. Um, that's not only in the interest of them, uh, it's in the interest of our community. And I think that's the way how we create a safe and vibrant community for all of us by addressing these needs on the front end of the system. But when you have allegations, and that's what these are right now, um, this is a system, uh, and I don't know if we have enough time to talk about the Vermont Department of Mental Health System, S serious issues were raised about its mission and the ability of the Vermont Department of Health coupled with our public safety system. The Department of Mental Health is a healthcare agency, as it should be. Um, the issue of when we have these allegations of violence, it's going to be that balancing of all those factors. I want to give you uh, a chance to respond to a, a, an allegation by Sarah George, also by the defense attorney in the Garon case, that this is uh, about, for you, it's as political, and it's about making you appear tough on crime. How do you respond to that? Well, I made a decision based on the facts and the law that I think is in the best interest of our community. Um, I would also point out that when we talk about being progressive in terms of criminal justice reform, uh, I would hold my record up against anybody. Uh, but you have to make hard decisions uh, in this business. Sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions, uh, but you make a decision uh, that you think is right. You make it based on the facts and the law and you go forward. And that's what I'm doing. Well, Attorney General T.J. Donovan, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks for having me, Dave. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all shows at vtdigger.org slash Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>